Blog Talk Radio. From days of long ago, from uncharted regions of the universe, comes a legend. <laughs> What's wrong with you? My first thought would be a lot. Time to get ready, show. Whatever he is, he destroys you. Daniel Digger! You have tuned in to the Ken Reedy Show. Thank you all for tuning in. We are live on Blog Talk Radio. Check us out if you got something to say about the world of professional wrestling. Please call in 347-838-9815. And if you like, email me, Ken at the Ken Reedy Show, uh, dot com. That's Ken at the Ken Reedy Show dot com. Check us out on Facebook. It's easy, Ken Reedy Show. On Facebook and also on the website, the Ken Reedy Show dot com, uh, with archived shows. Uh real excited to be here. It's it's interesting. We're going six to eight, two hours talking about the world of professional wrestling. And uh, there's no pay-per-view tonight, so we can talk about whatever you guys want. So call in. Let's let's recap. Impact, Raw, SmackDown, Road to WrestleMania. We're going to hit it all today. But first, there's something I have to address uh, in reference to last week's show. And uh, in last week's show, uh, I talked a little bit about The Miz. And I'm not a big Miz fan, but as it turns out, over on the Busted Open page, uh, their Facebook page, and... Nothing against the boys of Busted Open. I like Busted Open show, Series XM Radio. They've always been good to me. But there were some fans over there that had a problem with me uh, discrediting The Miz, of all people. They had a problem with me saying uh, bad things about The Miz. And, and I think I should uh, address some of the criticism uh, that I got uh, to start the show. First things first, uh, I just want to put it out there, and I'm finding more and more in the world of wrestling, and please call in if you'd like to chime in, 347-838-9815, that there are less and less wrestling fans and more and more just flat-out marks. No wrestling fans, just more and more in the mark department. And it's interesting that you know everyone's got to get up in arm, bent out of shape when one person's opinion happens to differ from your opinion. If one person doesn't like certain wrestlers and someone else does, or vice versa, you got to have a problem with it. I pride myself in saying I am not a mark. I am not a mark for anybody. The only, only performer that I will mark out for. And I will admit it wholeheartedly, is Hulk Hogan. And goddamn, he's the best of all time. So if I'm going to mark out for anybody, I'm going to mark out for the best of all time. I am not a mark for the WWE or TNA. I call it as I see it. The WWE sucks, I'll say it sucks. And if they're great, I'll say it's great. Uh, Same thing, TNA, ROA, back in the day, WCW, ECW. And if I go to an IQF show, I'm going to say that it's great or I'm going to say it's bad purely because of what I see and how I, I, I formulate my opinions. Um, I have, it's, it's not like me formulating my opinion because I happen to be a saw guy. Because that was one of the decisions I got. He, oh, oh, let's excuse him. He's a saw guy. Well, let's, let's tell you something about saw. I love my saw brothers. We have a nice little group of wrestling fans. We like to talk about wrestling and, for, and throw around opinions. But I'll tell you something. If you know anything about Saw, 
My opinion, I am constantly defending John Cena to my fellow Saw brethren. If the Saw guys want to call in and validate, I am like the lone guy in Saw that constantly defends John Cena. So my opinions are not dictated by the group Saw or anything else. My opinions are my own, and I, I will tell you right now that I will say it again. The Miz is terrible. The Miz sucks. And if you're going to want to be taken seriously as a wrestling fan, maybe the line in the sand you should draw should not be defending The Miz. Okay? Now, look, when you want to look at me and I say that The Miz discredited the WWE Championship or the World Heavyweight Champion, no, the WWE Championship, if I'm going to say that The Miz discredited a belt, okay, I'm saying it via storyline. Okay? Now, I'm not going to even, I don't mention his name on my show, but I'm not going to reference the baby killer. Okay, someone kills their whole family and kills themselves. All right, that, that's a totally different ball game. That's a black cloud over the entire business as a whole. That has nothing to do with discrediting a title. Okay, the Miz. The problem with the Miz to me is that the Miz comes from reality TV, and to people who are not wrestling fans, the Miz having the title is the is the equivalent of David Arquette having a championship. People don't look at him as an athlete or a wrestler, they look at him as a reality TV star. That was my point, okay? That is it. I don't like the Miz. Don't think he's any good. Think that he that the, the WWE saw somebody from reality TV that could bring in an audience, and they, they went with it. I don't think the guy's got much talent at all, either on the mic or in the ring, and that's just my opinion on the Miz. Now, there's certain parties that decided they had to write about me and my show on the Busted Open page. You know, I emailed. I invited them. They can come on the show, and we can have a, a clear uh, debate on ideas, and I'll be respectful. I will be very respectful if you wish to call in the show at 347-838-9815 to debate ideas, um, and we can debate other ideas as well. But... You know, it has nothing to do with the Saw guys or being a mark for the WWE or a mark for TNA or a mark for anything else. It's just how I feel about things, and I just don't think Miz is any good. And to be honest with you, at this point, right now, it seems like the WWE agrees with me because they are pulling that guy as far out of main event picture as they possibly can. So... That's what I got to say about The Miz and his place in wrestling and what I think he contributes to the wrestling business as a whole. I just I would say that give it a couple years and we're going to see his future endeavored wrestling in Elks Clubs and elementary school gyms. There. There you have it. If you want to call in and disagree with me, call in. But I'm gonna, now I'm going I'm to get a little more subdued. <laughs> You've tuned into The Ken Reedy Show. And as always, I'd like to queue up my tag team partner. Dave, are you there? Yes, I am, brother. I got, I'm holding the tag rope, waiting for the tag in the ring. All right, come on in. My tag team partner, Dave Rosenbluth, on the horn. We're going to take you all the way through the next two hours to talk about everything in the world of professional wrestling. Dave, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Ken. How are you? I am doing real good. A little, little heated, a little heated. I uh, just yeah, had to get a little, yeah, you know, a couple like things off fire, my chest. Brother. What was that? You sound like you're on fire, brother. Yeah, you know, just it was stuff I had to get off my chest. Well, that's you know, good, just, man. I that's had good. to get it out. 
But I'd awesome. like to switch gears a little bit, like we usually go, and we're going to talk about. There's a lot of stuff, especially for a, a week that does not have a paper. A lot of stuff uh, going on in the world of professional wrestling. Um, a lot of stuff on TV, uh, in the ring, out of the ring, and coming at the top of our two. Top of our two, we're going to go into the top 40 wrestling moments of the past 40 years. Um, slightly self-serving because I just turned 40. And I thought to myself, hey, why not come up with a top 40 list of the top 40 wrestling moments of the past 40 years? And so it's basically the best things that have happened in my life in professional wrestling. And we're going to get to that at top of hour two. But first off, um, I'd actually like to start with uh, TNA. Uh, past few shows, we haven't really been able to hit too much on uh, TNA. And so I'd like to, to start there. Uh, Dave, what do you think of TNA these days? Um, I think that they put out a solid program right now. Uh, I I think with the de- I think with um, the departure of uh, Vince Russo, we've seen a slight change in the in the writing and the storytelling. Uh, they're putting guys in spots that uh, deserve to be there. Uh, young guys that are uh, given the ability to shine. Guys like James Storm and Bobby Roode and. Uh, uh, guys who aren't young but uh, are getting an opportunity at the main event level, like a Bully Ray, um, who's been predominantly in the tag team scene uh, with his brother Devon at the Dudley Boys for uh, over, over a decade or so. Um, I, I've, I've been watching some of it lately. I'll be I'll be quite honest with you and the rest of the viewers. I'm not the biggest TNA fan, and especially when uh, Hogan and Bischoff jumped on board. And I love Hogan. Don't get me wrong, but uh, I thought that the 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 show was um, fairly uh, reminiscent of uh, the old days of Nitro, where you'd see a lot of him on. And, um, you know, he didn't really do much in the ring. He had that one program with Sting. But, uh, you know, they're, they're letting a lot of guys, you know, uh, you know fly out there and uh, and then and show what they got. And um, I think uh, the one thing about TNA is they've always been inconsistent with the storylines and the angles and, the, and uh, developing their characters. And they seem to be... On the, on the right track, especially with um, Bobby Roode and James Storm, respectively. Um, both guys, you know, went from being uh, probably the best tag team in wrestling for a few years as Beer Money to now being two big singles names in the main event scene over in TNA. And uh, I just hope that the trend continues with them, uh, with or with TNA over, overall as a whole, because, uh, you know, the, the more wrestling that's out there, the better, you know, the better it is for, uh, for us as fans and for... Uh, for, you know, the guys on the independents that want to make it. Yeah, and then better also competition-wise. We all know that, you know, Vince McMahon, and, you know, I'm going to stop. That This is the last thing I'm going to talk about with WWE as far as TNA, because I want to talk about TNA just in of themselves. But I was going to say that Vince McMahon, he's never, he's going to try at least to never let the Monday Night Wars happen again. So anytime anything else is getting good, it's a good thing because Vince McMahon will probably look to up his game. So yeah. the more good wrestling's out there, the more good program, the more entertaining programming, um, everyone will start to raise their game. Um, you know, one of the things you brought up a good point with Hogan, and you know, we're both Hogan fans, uh, admittedly a Hogan mark. I, I like what they're doing now. They, they've, you know, there, there's a place for, for the veterans. There's a place for the older guys. I'm not one of those people that says. You know, get rid of all the old guys, let the new guys shine. Um, I've always thought there's a place for those guys because this is pro wrestling. 
And, you know, right now, like, in the NBA, you won't get to see uh, Magic Johnson go one-on-one with LeBron James. You know, that doesn't happen in other sports. In wrestling, you can bring back some of the older guys, and uh, they can serve a purpose. I like they've put Hogan kind of in a mid-card kind of place. Um, you know, I don't know how, how far this Bischoff uh, storyline can go with, with Eric and, and his kid, um, but it's a mid-card storyline. It's it's an entertaining mid-card storyline. Um, you know, I don't again, I don't know how far the kid could go, um, but it works. Father versus son, it's a basic kind of storyline, and they're not hanging uh, the, the company on, on Hogan and Bischoff in that. It, it's a mid-card kind of thing. I wholeheartedly agree with you. I think Bobby Roode at, at the top of the heap is, is great. Uh, Bully Ray is amazing. Um, again, a guy that you're not going to turn off the TV uh, when he's on. Um, James Storm, great. Uh, I'm thinking with James Storm, though, might be time to switch to light beer. Thinking, <laughs> looking a yeah, little soft lately. We can, uh, see off, we can see that muffin top hanging over his uh, his ring gear when he gets in the ring. But um, with it seems like Storm, that uh, Bully Ray is losing. I think James Storm is finding. <laughs> yeah, I would I would have to agree with you. With James Storm, though, it's funny. It's funny you bring him up. Uh, he's um, his character appeals to the southern. Um, the, the, the Southern wrestling fans, you know, because he is from Tennessee, you know, the Cowboy James Storm, but he's got that, you know, that quality about him that um, a good portion of America can relate to. Just um, he's a good old boy, and you know, putting him in a, in a position of being the challenger, fighting for the championship, um, uh, you know, he he could sell tickets eventually down the line if they really pushed him hard and. Uh, and, and to me, it's all about, um, with TNA, it's all about the advertising and the marketing of their guys. You know, not a whole lot of people know who, who TNA or what TNA wrestling is. Um, you, won't, you won't find out too many stories about, you know, unless you're a hardcore die, a dollar TNA fan, you won't find that too many stories of, you know, AJ Styles or, or, or James Storm getting stopped, mobbed in the airport for autographs as opposed to hearing, you know, uh, Randy Orton or, uh, I, 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 I hate to say it, but, um, uh, our truth getting stopped in the, uh, in the airport for, for autographs. So TNA really needs to focus on getting that brand out there and working on themselves and not trying to be what WWE is or has been in the past. They need to focus on being something different, being an alternative, and having a longer shelf life in the wrestling business. Otherwise, we might see a repeat of March 26, 2001, with Vince McMahon live from the Impact Zone announcing the purchase of TNA Wrestling. And I hope that day doesn't come. Yeah, and and it's interesting because I, I one thing I think they has to look at, and look, I don't I don't know their finances, I don't know the logistics. I'm I'm, you know, I'm just a little guy in his little studio doing a little wrestling show. But um, they got to get out of the impact zone, muffin. Uh, oh, absolutely. Those shows, those shows at Wembley, uh, gave the company and everything such a big feel. Again, not the WWE. They don't have the production value, but it, to me, it, it gave them like some legitimacy, and uh, the crowd was into it. Whereas, 
you know, we've done some reports. I know Pat from New Jersey, our friend Pat Crowley, who's been a guest blogger, uh, went to the impact zone, and he said that, you know, it's it's basically like a bunch of people in the park that are looking to get inside an air-conditioned building for a little while. And you can see in, on a lot of impacts, the crowd is kind of dead. And, and it does, and, and it, it kind of discredits the, the whole thing a little bit. You know, when the crowd is hot, it adds to the feel of, of an event. And I'm sure the performers feed off it as well. I mean, I know for myself, I'm in a band. Uh, we perform live. If the crowd is dead, it, it kind of, it's tough for us to really get into The crowd is, is lively and dancing and, and yelling and, and drunk. <laughs> Uh, you know, we really get into it. Um, I, I just thought the Wembley shows really gave gave the the TNA a feel. It gave it a big show feel, and you know, it's it's interesting. Uh, and I don't think we can even you know, talk to James Storm. We've talked about uh, Bobby Roode, Hulk Hogan. We talk. I, I don't think we overemphasize that right now. One of the things that TNA is getting, and we don't know how long they're going to get it for, is they have a clean Jeff Hardy, and Jeff Hardy. To me, has as looked better than it has in years. Yeah, absolutely. His in-ring work is uh, his in-ring work's been pretty solid, not sloppy due to uh, you know his past drug use. Um, that's that's a good thing. He is a very very marketable character for them that could help them could help really propel that company to the next level. Um, if he stays on the right track and he's, you know, and, and as long as him and the company are on the same page and if he's, you know, putting out consistent, decent promos, because he's not the greatest talker in the world, but his character, he doesn't need to be. He's got enough flash and flair where he gets over with the audience um, from his in-ring work and his look overall. Um, I, want to, I want to tell you just a minor story about the, um, the Impact Zone. I, too, have been to a TNA Impact taping. Um, I've, I was fortunate enough to get um, free tickets. So they're not really tickets. You just get put on a list from uh, TNA wrestler Velvet Sky. Uh, we, um, Velvet lives in the state of Connecticut, um, and uh, we would become friends over over like 10 years ago, and uh, when she was with TNA, I went down there to go to uh, see an Impact taping, WrestleMania 24 weekend, and this was when TNA had, I don't know if you remember this, Ken, but they had two ramps, a babyface entrance and a heel entrance, and it, it cut off a good portion of the studio that had become, you know, 400 feet, uh, four, uh, they cut off the, the portion of the studio where you could sit about maybe 400 or 500 people, and um, I remember getting in that building, and if Pat Crowley said there was air conditioning that night, there wasn't on, on the evening that I was there. It was like one big giant sweat box with 900 people on top of you. It, it, it smelled like a, a Guatemalan YMCA in there. It was terrible. <laughs> and no disrespect I, to Guatemala. No, absolutely not. Please, I apologize for any callers that are Guatemalan that want to hang me. Um, <laughs> but it was, it was just, and granted, it was the first time that TNA had ever gone live on Spike TV because, as we all know, they tape every single one of their television broadcasts. So it was a big deal. The crowd was pretty live for um, for uh, the um, the taping itself. But um, you could see, especially going especially watching on television you could see that when a performer does something in the and they're really uh, deep into an angle or into a storyline especially if they're working that crowd in orlando the crowd shits all over it 
not because they don't think the story is good, because they're just spoiled, because they go to every single taping, and they're there all the time, and it's just something that that crowd does, and it's not fair to the performers. I don't, I think TNA gets a lot of crap, or at least the the the, uh, the the wrestlers get a lot of crap from people online about you know oh well they did this crap this week and you know they were shitty at this and they sucked at that but you know you work so hard uh, to try and get across a story and if the audience in that who sees you every single week on television and then comes to those TV tapings every week they shit all over it and just for no reason at all. So I think that that building has been a detriment to them. It started, it's, it's helped them out financially, but it's been a big detriment to them for the overall big picture to get them to move forward. And like you said, it gets that big, the, being a member got that big feel to it. And I think if they just go in smaller markets, smaller arenas, start out small on the road, I think, I think that, uh, that the show will become increasingly better as time goes on. Yeah, and I think the the first thing they they really should look at, and, and again, I don't know their finances, um, and maybe they jumped on things too quickly. And, and you know, I, I think all the company. I mean, there's a little too many with the pay per views. It's tough to set up storylines with the pay per views. Um, I, I to me, I almost think they should go to a old school uh, WWE kind of schedule when there was only four pay per views. Do four pay per views, all four of them out of the impact zone. Uh, maybe start from there and, and try and get a few of the impacts out of the impact zone uh, just to kind of get a, a bigger feel. I mean, it's funny when you watch any pay-per-view, uh, when the pay-per-views are in the impact zone, it just kind of feels like you pay for an impact. As, yeah. as good or bad as the event might be, and it could be an excellent event, it kind of gives it a small feel. And when you're spending money uh, to watch something, you really – you want a bigger feel. You want to feel like you're you're buying an event, and and it kind of loses a little bit uh, with the event. But it was interesting when you brought up Velvet Sky. Uh, one of the things when when you, you go top to bottom right now with TNA, uh, which is really interesting because at this time of year, uh, generally you look at like the WWE firing on all cylinders, Road to WrestleMania. You know, maybe other companies kind of are, take a back seat. Uh, it's an interesting time because. It's like TNA right now is kind of firing on all cylinders. The X Division's good. X Division's solid. Austin Aries, a great champ, great in-ring performer, very good on the microphone. Uh, the Knockouts, uh, speak Velvet Sky, very good, very solid. Um, interesting storylines, interesting characters, um, better matches, uh, you know, a lot more. Uh, you're getting out of the women in TNA. I mean, there's, there's really little to nothing in the WWE uh, as far as the women go. Um, knockouts, definitely interesting. Again, a fun, uh, usually mid-card, but sometimes, you know, they headline impacts, and, and, you know, they do a decent job. I like Sting as, like, the head guy, although he's gone back to his Joker kind of persona, which I don't like. Um, but... He's been good in that role. Again, using the veteran the right way, not in the ring every week. Uh, he's solid on the mic. Um, I thought he's been, been good with that. Uh, the, the champs are, are strong. Uh, like I said, X Division champ strong. Tag division, uh, very good. You know, the new tag champs, Magnus and Samoa Joe, as we've talked about before, 
a repackaging of Samoa Joe seemed to be needed. Maybe this is what's good for him. I like them as a tag team. Uh, looks like they, they might be breaking Crimson and Matt Morgan soon, uh, which will add intrigue a bit to that rivalry. I thought they were strong tag champs. Uh, now they don't have the belts anymore. And they've kind of flipped the script a little bit. Like I said before, the Hogan-Bischoff thing, a mid-card storyline. But you also got AJ Styles as a mid-carder at this point, um, which is working. It, it strengthens the mid-card. Uh, the thing with Kazarian, who knows what's going on with uh, Kazarian and, and why he turned on AJ. Um, it's not an incredible storyline, but it's a mid-card storyline that is interesting in, in the middle of, of any card. And and then you have your comic relief with Eric Young right now in OCB, which is amusing. Uh, it has its moments. They they skated the line of almost overdoing it, but they, they haven't really overdone it with him. Um, so, you know, the comic relief is working. The only champ right now in TNA that, to me, is, is I don't know what exactly they're doing with him, is, is Robbie E., although he is a solid worker, put on a good match on Thursday with AJ Styles. Um, somebody really needs to talk to Rob Terry because when you use the self-tanner, you have to wash your hands immediately. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed on Thursday, his palms were tanned inconsistently. There was white dark marks on his, on his palms. His hands are. Well, he put his hand over the camera. There was like brown blotches. Uh, all over his hands. So, Tanner, you know, wash the hands, Rob. After you use it, just make sure, you know, you don't get your palms stained. Um, <laughs> but I think Robbie E. would be the only belt right now that I would look at and say, all right, I wonder where they're going. Uh, with him and his storyline, somewhat amusing. Like I said, okay on the mic, decent worker, but I uh, don't know where exactly they're going to go with, with his storyline. And who knows? Maybe they're going to continue uh, – Something with AJ, and maybe AJ takes the uh, TV title, which would add some strength and credibility to that belt. Uh, yeah, so, good. I could see, I could see that happen. Another, another title. I don't know if you were going to mention it, or if you, uh, or if it hadn't come to your mind. I apologize for interrupting, but um, the the knockout tag team titles. Um, they don't really have much of a tag division. They, the only time you see those belts on TV is when uh, they're being defended once every couple of months. Um, and they sw- they seem to switch title holders. Um, I I mean, the rumor I've heard over the over the past couple of years was when they when they were signing more knockout more girls to become knockouts on the roster. Was, that was the idea behind um, the tag team titles. But they seem to be um, knockouts seem to be depleting um, from from their roster. I don't see any point in having those 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 women's tag team belts if you're not going to feature them regularly on TV in a meaningful way. If they're just another piece of jewelry for Gibbs uh, and Madison Rain to uh, to wear, or if it's to facilitate their angle, I think it's useless. Um, I don't think those belts are really necessary. I, I I mean you you and I both know we we grew up on uh, the theory of less is more um, in wrestling, and when I started watching WWF. Uh, there were only three championships, and it made all three of those titles mean the world, <laughs> and then some. When you get too many belts in a, in a, in a, in a wrestling company, um, it, it, it waters down the concept of a championship. And I think TNA's got too many of those. WWE had too many of those at one time, and they've knocked it down to a few. Um, so 
I don't see any reason for having the knockout tag team titles um, on their roster. It's a good point, and maybe they should, you know, at some look to discuss. It does facilitate the uh, angle a bit right now with uh, Gail Kim and Matt and Rain. Uh, but you're right, there's not enough knockout tag teams. Um, you bring up a point with the champion, and I, I think TNA, and I mean, is it at the point we're getting rid of Russo and has done, I mean, this this much of a difference? Um, because it's pretty amazing. I mean, top to bottom, they, they're putting out a solid show. And when you say multiple champs, I think they've done a tremendous job at Bobby Roode's championship uh, you know, he's had it for a little while now. He's a strong champ. Again, I keep saying I'm not going to compare, but I keep comparing, so fuck my show. I can say whatever I want. The WWE <laughs> with the two champs, and as, as solid as those two champs are, there is something to be said for one champion. And TNA has their one champion, and they're doing a good job. You know, he's kind of weaseling his way through uh, different matches, but he's a, he's a very good worker. That's what heels do, though. I don't, exactly. I don't, with, I don't get that with people. When I read stuff online, and I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I gotta get this no, out. Go <laughs> I truly apologize. But when there's people, I see these message boards, and I see people on your on your page, and I've I've, I've gone on the busted open page. And I say, oh, well, so and so didn't win cleanly. He had to pull the tights, and he's got no credibility until he beats somebody clean in the middle of the ring. One, two, three. He goes. Bad guys, they cheat. That's what they do. You don't see, listen, you don't see bad guys in movies beat up the good guy cleanly. He either shoots him <laughs> or stabs him or whatever. And, he's, and, and, you know, eventually the good guy gets what he wants and, you know, and they put, either kill the bad guy or put the bad guy in jail. But heels never win cleanly, and that's what draws them heat. I mean, it's wrestling it's, it's, it's one-on-one. So to any people you know, that, that are hearing what I'm saying, please call in 347-838-9815 if you would like to debate this with me. But last time I checked, growing up, bad guys cheat. It's just one of those things that kind of works. <laughs> so Yeah, it just I guess it's one of those things. That it depends on how it's booked and if, if they, they make the – I mean, you're right. You cheat, and, that, and that's how you make – and that's how you, you draw heat. That's why the, the fans will hate you. It's all a question of, of how it's booked, and and in a way like making the champ cheap, cheap, but still look strong. And it's it's not necessarily the easiest thing in the world. And and why not get back to bashing the Miz? Um, but that's thing they, they they miss like with with Miz's championship run, when you have to repeatedly cheat to beat Jerry the King Lawler. To me, at that point, then it's not even like all right, fine, you know, you cheat against. Uh, you know, uh, and, you know, Bobby Roode has to cheat against James Storm. All right, they're two guys that are evenly matched, former friends, so he's cheating, and it still can kind of look strong, even though he's cheating to win. Man, when you got when you got to beat a sixty-year-old with not one but two people interfering on your behalf, now it doesn't only like it's not only just a heel thing; it almost discredits you as the champion. So the way to to write in the, the cheating. To make it to make it feasible as as a champ, and I think they're doing it well with James Storm in the WWE. I think doing it well right now with Daniel Bryan. Um, but getting like when they did it with the Miz, I don't think he worked well as a champion because it just was he looked too weak. So it's a way to uh, make you have to. It's that fine line: make them cheat, uh, but 
have them look strong. And one of the biggest problems nowadays in reference to when we grew up with wrestling is that they've gotten rid of the jobbers. There's no real jobbers yeah. anymore in the business. So years ago, you could have, you'd have the heel champion uh, beat a few jobbers cleanly. Maybe well, I mean, arrogant in the way they beat them. Uh, you know, so they kind of kept that heat. But they, So you'd see them win cleanly. And then when it was time for their big match, they would cheat uh, to beat the, the competitor that was more on an even keel with them. Uh, but with no jobbers nowadays, it's kind of a tougher sell sometimes to uh, to be able to, to do that. Getting back to what TNA's doing, I think they're doing an excellent job with James Storm right now in, in that angle. Um, you know, so I, as, you know, make a long story longer, um, TNA firing on all cylinders right now, I mean, pretty much outside of maybe the T-Title and the, the women's tag, uh, they're good. Now the question yeah, is, can they sustain it? Has TNA turned a corner as a company? Um, or is this just a you know a good run for them, and in a month or two, uh, they're going to shit the bed, and we're going to be wondering what the hell is TNA doing? Uh, we'll see, but uh, right now, I'm pleased. I'm entertained on Thursday nights. Yeah, I, I, I've been watching. I, I don't watch it live because I, I work Thursday evenings, but um, I'll catch it on the DV and yeah, on demand. The uh, T- TNA and Spike TV have a uh, on-demand section on my cable, so I'll watch the shows a week later, a week late, and um, I actually happen to catch the uh, the end of this week's impact with uh, the uh, NFL uh, uh, running back New York Giant Brandon Jacobs. And I thought that I thought the Brandon that was one thing that we haven't brought up. I thought the Brandon Jacobs segments have been very well for a guy who has no background in this profession, and he's a you know an NFL running back. He did it. He did pretty well from a verbal standpoint. In uh, you know the choke it, slam. Yeah, I mean, and we granted you know he's an he's an athlete, and it helps being an athlete at times. Sometimes it's a detriment to you because it's not you know. Um, it's wrestling, and it's completely different from what you do from another uh, as another profession. But um, I thought that the I thought that the Brandon Jacobs stuff came off really well. I would have liked TNA to have if TNA. I don't like like you said. I don't know what the resources are finances wise. But um, when it was first noted that Brandon Jacobs was going to appear at the television tapings, it made the Associated Press with Fox Sports um, online. But it would have been nice, especially since coming off of a Super Bowl win, if TNA were to try and, you know, if Brandon Jacobs went on SportsCenter or outside the lines, first take whatever one of those shows are on ESPN, and brought a couple of TNA guys with him, that would have been huge for TNA to get that press from the worldwide leader in sports, ESPN, and they didn't do that. And the other thing that, that that didn't help them either was advertising the fact that Jacobs was going to be there. He was on one episode. They didn't advertise he was going to be on the second episode. And they could have gotten a sports center like moment for showing, you know, the Brandon Jacobs clip. They could have interviewed him in the studio. Hell, they could have brought in James Storm uh, you know, with him or, or, or even Jeff Hardy with him into the studio to, to get that press. You always, I mean, you always see, you know, uh, you'll see a WWE guy on there, an ESPN talks WWE a lot nowadays, almost like it's a legitimate sport, um, which is odd because for years they've been putting it down. Um, 
but it would have, that was the one that's the one thing for Tina right now that they that they need to do is market and advertise more and get more eyeballs on that television set. And I think with the Brandon Jacobs thing, I don't think they dropped the ball per se, but they could have done a better job with it. I agree. Yeah, they could have publicized more, but I got I got to hand it to TNA, you know, and and putting out there the the healing power of beer. I mean, where what else? Together, a black man from the north, a southern redneck, but their love of beer, and TNA <laughs> put that out there. Well, that's uh, why TNA. Brandon Jacobs played like shit this year because he drank too much beer. Then <laughs> there you go. We got a call. Let's go to the phones. Fine. Hey, call. Are you there? Hey, Ken, what's up? It's Tony. Hey, Tony, how you doing? Thanks for the call. Thanks for holding on. What do you got for us? Tony, by the way, is our our guest bugger. He recaps all the shows. Uh, Check him out. Great blog, very thorough, uh, top to bottom. What's going on, Tony? I know about Yeah, I just heard everything you're saying about uh, TNA. This, uh, late in the last few months, they really have been doing a a really really good job with the the product storylines, you know. And like uh, they said, uh, um, the Webley shows were like... Those those are some of the best um, impacts. Uh, those are two of the best ones I ever saw. I ever saw uh, those ones. Um, even though their live shows are good too, I went to one at the uh, Westchester County Center over in White Plains uh, about a month ago, and you know it didn't sell out, but it was it was still really good. You know, so, and the crowd was really into it. You know, and, and um, having the uh, show outside the impact zone, I think definitely uh, the, the crowd is definitely hotter when they go to different towns. Let me bring up the point. I've gone to a couple of TNA shows, and, and logistics, like they, we got like the uh, ultimate fan experience package, and they shit the bed all over that package. But the show itself, every time I've seen TNA live, uh, they, you are correct. They put on a hell of a show. Um, and and one of the shows I went to in Manhattan, like Dixie Carter came out and was walking through the crowd, and I got to meet Dick Carter. I mean, where else? You know, that was just cool. Um, but yeah, they do put on a hell of a live show, and uh, it seems like almost Impact is getting more like trying to adhere to what they do well, which is a, a good live show. Right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, the, the show. Yeah, they have been doing a great job. You know, I mean, even despite you know like Hogan and and I was a big Hulkamaniac fan. You know, back in the day too. Well, you know, like I say, uh, he and Bischoff came in when they came in a couple of years ago. I thought, oh, you know, I thought, oh, here we go, it's Nitro all over again, but. It's been, you know, it's been good. I mean, you know, Bischoff, uh, the whole Bischoff uh, thing with his son, it's, you know, it's not my favorite, but, you know, it's 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 good for what it is. You know, it's okay for what it is. You know, like I said, like I said, it's a good mid-card feud. Um, I, even, I agree about the uh, the championships, too. You know, I remember, you know, when, um, when, I remember when DNA started, they just had the three titles. The, you know, they had the X Division title and the, other, and the world title and the tag title. Um, but yeah, the, the uh, TV belt I, I actually forgot existed before I saw Robbie E on the show. <laughs> I kind of did. Too. I actually found myself like this week. I'm like, wait, who has the TV belt? And I had to actually go and look it up. Uh, <laughs> you guys remember when the television belt actually meant something? I mean, in the NWA, um, yeah, you know, the right. bracket promotions, guys like Dusty Rhodes and Tully Blanchard and Arn Anderson and Steve Austin, all those names held the television title. And the television title would sometimes main event the television shows, and you had the TV time limit. And if the match went over the time limit, the show would go off the air, and you would have to hear about it on the recap show later that weekend or the following week or whatever. Um, the television title pretty much is non-existent these days. It's just about to facilitate an angle or to get a guy over. Um, I'd like to see TNA use that championship 
and make it mean something. Not have the world title so much close out the show on impact. You know, why why don't you have, you know, whoever the T V champion is, let's say it's AJ Styles, him him versus uh, Austin Aries or, you know, uh, Robbie E or whoever. Uh, make that title mean something. Just don't use it as a championship or as a you know, as a way to to, to reward a guy or get a guy over. And even now, um, in, you know, like in, back in the day in ECW, you know, guys like Rob Van Dam, he was the longest reigning champion. You had Taz, you know, who was, uh, had it, and, you know, like, you know, certain guys, a lot of guys had it before they went on to the world title. And even the um, Ring of Honor, too, they had to this idea of the television championship is actually just is just as creditable as the world title, you know, with Jay Lee as the champion, he actually, you know, and, um, I don't, they did a match with him and El Generico on their second taping and went to a draw and they restarted the match. But I know I never saying about you know going to the draw and everything. But you know, and that's cool too. But you know, because it's um, you know, but I'm just thinking about the t- television title. That you know, back to that, it definitely TNA should definitely you know, you know, remember that they got it there and you know, if they're gonna if they're gonna keep it, they gotta be safe, use it. You know, you know, you know. Good. Right. Uh, thanks a lot for the call, Tony. Oh, no problem. Thanks, Tony. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's you know, and good points brought up. It, it's getting back to that idea that, and Taz has talked about this, um, that it's a title. It's a title. It's not a belt. It's not a prop. It's a title, and with a title should come some prestige whether a world title or the IC title or the TV title or tag title. It's a title. It's not a prop. Now, we know it's professional wrestling. We know it's scripted. We know everything is to facilitate a storyline. But the storyline should hold the belts in some prestige and and honor them as as titles uh, more than just a belt, a prop, something to facilitate a storyline. Um, so anyway, yeah, to close up what we talked about TNA, we talked about TNA a lot, which is good. And if you want to continue to talk about TNA, call in at 347-838-9815, 347-838-9815. Um, but we're going to move on. Uh, something really interesting that happened this week outside of TV and in the ring, um, an interesting confrontation between Chris Brown and Sam Punk. And in case you missed, uh, some of it, here's some audio from CM Punk uh, addressing Chris Brown. I never intended to include Chris Brown's name in one of my tweets to start some sort of a controversy or to gain publicity or anything like that. Uh, and now that he's thrown accusations my way about using steroids, I feel the need to reply. So please allow me to retort. Um, I'm a lifelong, proud, drug-free, straight-edge individual. So Chris and I come from two completely different worlds. I don't have a manager, I don't have a bodyguard, I don't need a bodyguard, I don't have an assistant, I have no need for a PR team to tell me what to tweet or when to tweet tweets, and I don't have women, see, period, you don't have women, in my world, women are to be revered and respected, and I firmly believe that in this life there are consequences and repercussions for people's actions, and I don't think Chris has paid for what he's done, and picking up trash on the side of a highway does not make amends for repeatedly striking a woman in the face and sending her to a hospital. So Chris wants to throw stones my way now, and I say, that's fine, but put some gloves on and get in the ring. And I, I, will, I will choke you out, and I will make you feel as weak and as powerless 
scared and alone as any woman who has the misfortune of knowing a sad, cowardly little boy such as yourself. And all proceeds can go to a women's shelter of my choosing. If you want to pick up more trash on the side of the highway to make some amends, you should donate some more time. Maybe tell kids exactly what you did isn't right. But I'm also a realist, and I know that none of these things will happen because Chris Brown isn't a man. And that's fine. I just know that someday, somewhere, somehow, somebody will put Chris Brown exactly where he belongs. And it honestly doesn't have to be me. I would just really like it to be. Wow. Some pretty heated words um, from the straight edge superstar. And i got to admit, when I first, when this first broke, and they were going back and forth on Twitter, and they were talking about it on WWE programming, um, my first thought was that this is a work uh, in some way. Uh, as the week has progressed, I'm starting to think more and more that it is not a work, um, and this is genuine, uh, something personal between Chris Brown and, and CM Punk. What are your thoughts on this? Um, it it kind of came out of left field for me. Um, I, I think this uh, this tweet broke probably the day after uh, last week's Elimination Chamber pay-per-view, and uh, I don't I know that the uh, the, the Grammys were were a couple of weeks ago, and um, the only thing I could say is that I don't know what was behind Punk all of a sudden uh, coming up with this uh, this tweet, and especially mentioning Chris Brown because the incident with him and Rihanna, his then girlfriend at the time, was uh, well, you know is, is a couple of years old, so that so that wound's been uh, pretty healed in the public's eyes. They don't forget it, but um, um, I, I just assume that. Uh, that this is just punk being punk and, you know, just uh, speaking without a filter, which is fine. That's cool. Um, it's gotten some uh, some some press on Twitter and uh, TMZ. And, uh, you know, this is right around uh, WrestleMania time when stuff like this happens. So it's not surprising to me. Um, I, I mean, if, it, if it's not an angle now, it might be further down the line if, the money's right for Chris Brown if Vince McMahon wants to go there. Um, so let's, you know, let's, let's just let it happen and, and uh, see how it plays out. Yeah, I can't wait till we see at WrestleMania that our Chris Brown's going to be uh, in Chris Jericho's corner. Yeah, you know, yeah, you saying it came out of left field. I kind of felt the same way. It was just where... Where is this coming from? Uh, the interesting thing is, uh, you know, I know you, you always hear that Vince McMahon just likes any sort of publicity, so this is uh, uh, some publicity. And maybe to a certain extent it made us all forget about uh, the Elimination Chamber because I, I thought that pay-per-view was, was pretty weak, uh, especially for the pay-per-view before WrestleMania. And to be honest, you know, I like Punk. I thought Punk looked terrible in the ring on, on Sunday night, uh, which... It's surprising. You usually don't hear anyone saying he looked bad in the ring. And uh, I was actually watching a pay-per-view with uh, David LaGreca from uh, Busted Open fame, and we were both in agreement that he just didn't look good in the ring. He kept missing spots. Um, so it definitely defers uh, the attention from a subpar pay-per-view uh, and a subpar performance, although on Monday Night Raw he had a very good performance against Daniel Bryan. Uh, I thought it was a very good match between the two of them. Um, so it's interesting, you know, trying to figure out whether it's it's a work or or not. Um, 
you got me. If it's just punk being punk, uh, you do wonder, you know, where where McMahon might fall or where the company might fall uh, as far as their opinions on on him doing this. I mean, he did essentially threaten violence. Um, how far does Chris Brown's people want to take this if it's it's not part of a storyline? Uh, does get punk uh, in hot water in the company. I mean, he's so over with the crowd, but, um, you know, the WWE is not above, like, pushing someone down um, if if you're not falling in line. Uh, so, I, yeah, it's weird. It's just, like, all setting up for WrestleMania, getting ready for uh, the push of WrestleMania, and then all of a sudden Chris Brown and CM Punk are jawing at each other. Um, I thought it was, uh, yeah, just like you said, kind of out of left field. Um, but the major thing we did here on Raw, getting back to some wrestling talk, is we are seeing Triple H Taker yet again. Uh, we're seeing the two old dogs going at it again, and we're going to see them hell in a cell. <laughs> um, yeah, you're... <laughs> Was that dramatic enough? That dramatic hell in the cell music that, that, that they play when the, when the cell comes down from the ceiling. And have, yeah, like, which is going to be interesting how exactly they're going to bring the cell down uh, from the ceiling in an open-air stadium uh, at WrestleMania. Um, I'm, I'm actually curious, going there live, uh, how exactly the cell will be erected. Um, I don't know. What are, what are your thoughts on this hell in the cell match? Another thing that I didn't that I that I didn't see coming, you know, out of left field. Um, you, we all knew that Hunter and Taker were going to go at it at WrestleMania. It was just a matter of how they were going to get there. And I and you know you in the beginning, I wasn't a fan of of this match happening again, especially the third time at a WrestleMania because like we talked about, the, you know, I think it was the Royal Rumble pregame show. You know, WrestleMania's. It's it's been Taker versus Sean two years in a row, and now it would be Taker versus Hunter two years in a row. And uh, and you and I both agreed, and even a couple callers agreed that it would have been nice to see Taker go up against a guy like Chris Jericho. The timing of Chris Jericho's return, it would have made sense. The whole end of the world speech and this, that, and the other. Um, but at the same time, I was also very optimistic because I was like, you know what? If 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 they're gonna go this route, at least. With those two guys, they're going to know how to get there. It was just a matter of, you know, when they, how it was going to develop. And I, I, I liked it so far. The build's been different. It's been good. You've obviously seen guys that have won, you know, over the past few years that have been the one challenging Undertaker. But now this is, you know, the, the old dog wanting that redemption because he felt that, you know, the way he was last shown or last portrayed on television was in an unfavorable light being carried out at last year's WrestleMania. Um, so uh, I like how they, how they went that route. The Hell in the Cell I did not see coming, but it, it to me, it, it makes sense. If there's going to be an end, it's got to be that match. And the Hell in the Cell over the past few years, especially during the PG era of WWE, has been used as a pay-per-view. And it's just been something that's like, well, it's October, guess what? It's Hell in the Cell on pay-per-view, and we're going to put two guys who have been feuding for about a week and a half inside the Hell in the Cell for a championship. And it hasn't really had that big feel to it. I think how I think bring for this match brings that Hell in the Cell feel to it. And um I, I think I, I 
we we've talked about it before, Ken, but I think that they're gonna, with these two guys, especially you know Triple H being the company guy now, and and you know pretty much he can and Taker with his uh, history in the company, they both can pretty much do and say whatever they want um, to 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 help further their storylines. Uh, they have some leverage with uh, the boss. I think we're gonna see. I think it's going to be a pretty violent match. I think it's. Uh, I, I think they might even go past the PG um, guidelines and restrictions. Um, well, I, I, I hope so. I mean, I've gotten a little tired of, um, you know, in the PG era, and you know, and shortly we'll get to the countdown. And sometimes I think, you know, maybe I've just been spoiled in the era that I grew up with and watching wrestling. Um, you know things. You know we're we're really good, and then maybe I just I hold things uh, to a different bar. Uh, maybe the, the bar is set too high, in, in my my opinion. But uh, when you when you have the announcers continually like saying things, and like for last week's, you know the elimination chamber, and you know I joked with some people, you know every, every it's like oh it's the most violent structure ever erected until the Hell in a Cell pay per view, and then the Hell it's the most violent structure ever created, and and when they oversell. Uh, the violence aspect going into these pay-per-views, the PG era, it, it takes away from it for me because I remember back, you know, to real violence. When when they want to have a Hell in a Cell match now and they say, oh, my God, it's a Hell in a Cell. Well, geez, you know, I remember Foley going off the top of the cage and then afterwards getting slammed into tacks. And, and so it's tough when they, they they try and sell, like, the most violent structure. It's like, well, how is it the most violent structure? It's not anymore. Now, I hear you, like, everyone knows last year that, uh, you know, they've outlawed chair shots to the head, uh, really concussion controversies and, and, and what have you uh, in our society now. And there was a chair shot to the head in last year's match between Triple H and The Undertaker. Um, to me, this match has to have blood. It has to. Uh, it, there's just no way. Uh, I don't know if this is going to be the end for these guys. Um, perhaps last match for one or both of these guys. Um, I, they have to. It has to be. And what I don't get is it might not have been labeled that, but the 80s was PG. The 80s, for the most part, the product was PG. But every so often, you had a bloody match. It, it's just the way it goes. And I don't see why... We can't have, in, in a PG era, a match that occurs after 9 o'clock on a pay-per-view that we can't have at least a little bit of blood. Now, I'm not saying he has to bleed like Eddie Guerrero Judgment Day against JBL, where I, I didn't know if he was going to actually survive that match. Um, but a little bit of blood to kind of facilitate the idea that this is a violent, knockdown, drag-out fight. Uh to me, is is kind of necessary. Um, so I'm cautiously optimistic because I think these are two guys that if there was going to be blood, um, and I sound God, I sound like such a savage. <laughs> Need blood. Um, these two guys might be able to get away with it. These guys, like you said, might be the two guys that uh, you know they'll they'll take whatever fine Vince might uh, issue them. Uh, you know they they don't care. Um, they'll just go out and for the last hurrah and, and, and put it all out there. Uh, but I do think that's uh, necessary for, for this match. Um, the other thing got this, this Monday night, and I'm going to quote uh, one of my Saw brothers, Bob Scott, 
who said, this is a John Cena I can get behind. Um, which I thought was interesting because uh, most of the time when I'm talking with the Saw guys, I, I'm the only guy that will say anything pro John Cena. Um, John Cena with a with a good promo. Uh, a real decent promo, uh, calling out The Rock, uh, calling a movie star. Um, you know, and, and I got to say... I kind of agree with Cena. I, I, I'm wondering what kind of a match these two guys will, will put on. Um, but Cena's there week in and week out. And uh, I don't know if, if the powers that be in the WWE knew this about The Rock, but setting up this storyline a year in advance, to me it's real difficult for Cena to facilitate this storyline by himself, uh, to, to do this whole thing. Uh, on his own, uh, The Rock is going to grace us uh, with his presence on Monday night, and let's see what The Rock has to say. Um, but I thought John Cena pulled off a pretty decent promo. What'd you think, Cena, on Monday? Oh, I thought it was great. It really felt. It, I mean, it wasn't one of those typical, you know, wrestling promos where you know I'll see you at WrestleMania and you're gonna get what's coming to you and the end of that night I'm gonna be the victor. It wasn't anything like that. This was straight from the heart and it didn't it didn't feel scripted at all. It it, it felt, you know, hundred percent real. Um and it felt to me it, to me it brought the big fight feel back to that storyline and to wrestling, um, with John Cena and, and The Rock, um, for for their for their match at WrestleMania. I, I I'm looking forward to seeing where else this is, this is going to go now, especially with the beginning stages of that promo um, with, with, with that, that John Cena had, had done on Monday night. I mean, um, I, I, I agree with you in, in agreeing with Cena. Um, but at the same time, you know, if, if, if you recall, there was a, um, an incident this past week where a, a unanimous WWE wrestler texted uh, – ProWrestlingInsider.com and um, a, a member of ProWrestlingInsider.com and spoke about how Cena's 100% right. And, and I'm going I'm to cut you off there just for a second. Um, because as, and if you'd like to call and talk about this, 347-838-9815, because I happen to have the, the whole statement, and since we're going to talk about it, uh, let me read it off. And you're right. awesome. and on one hand, I, I will say this. It was an anonymous WWE wrestler that, that sent this to PW Insider. Um, I will say this. I, I'm not a big fan of anonymous statements being sent through anyone. Um, I've always hated in sports when uh, anonymous player in the locker room states, blah, blah, blah. To me, it comes off as a little cowardly. Um, but it's news nonetheless that somebody in the WWE feels this way. And here's the statement. I quote, Dwayne Johnson comes in to use the WWE to get back the audience he lost doing Disney movies which is fine, but he's been back over a year and named one person he helped make a bigger star since then. No one. He's here for himself. He keeps to himself, and he keeps someone who's actually touring here all year from making a bigger payday at the bigger shows. It's all about making this the biggest mania of all time. Okay, then what do we do the rest of the year? Who's been made? You think he took any blame for Survivor Series not buying? Of course not. But how do you feud with a guy on a Titantron? Cena nailed the guy dead on tight. Say anything about Triple H, Taker, etc. still being in the top spot. But if they were needed to work the road, they would. And they'd still work their asses off as much as they needed. The Rock is out for The Rock. And the idea he's here to better anything but his own wallet 
is the biggest word of 2012. Some inflammatory words by someone in the WWE locker room. Now, could this wind up being something that Cena sent and it's it's a bit of a work? Um, perhaps, but I, I tend to not think so. I think uh, this was like a straight-on shoot and somebody who feels like they're losing their spot um, is kind of pissed her off right now. Yeah, um... I mean, I understand the frustration of, of those guys. They work all year round, bust their ass, they go overseas, they work every show possible. Whoever this person is, we don't know. For all we know, it could be, you know, it, it, it could be, you know, uh, uh, you know, well, what's his name, uh, Tyler Rex or, or anybody, <laughs> or, or whoever, you know. But, you know, these guys work, they bust their ass all year, all year long. And, yeah, Rock, come, I could see the jealousy. There's jealousy everywhere, you know. Every, in, in any profession, but it's all about making more money. And you know, Rock coming in is going to do big business uh, for WrestleMania. It hasn't done tremendous business, but they are right. This person is right in the sense that who's he helped out to make a bigger star? Nobody. They had the opportunity to do that with the Miz. That didn't. That didn't happen. John Cena really doesn't need to help to be a bigger star. I think this this whole angle with the Rock and the interaction he's having with the Rock is more of another notch on John Cena's belt, which is fine, which is absolutely fine. But this is a match that people have been wanting to see for years, and um, I agree with them in the sense that it's not, it hasn't helped somebody out. But to, to, to go ahead and say, well, this takes a spot away from somebody on the card who's been here all year long, Lance Storm was quoted earlier this year, or earlier this week, excuse me, as saying that he was bumped off WrestleMania 19 for the Miller Light girls. So... The rest of the guys have no business saying anything about The Rock. Shane Helms was quoted this week on Twitter as saying that WrestleMania, something along the lines of that WrestleMania has involved celebrities on their show before that have bumped guys off the card. But it just so happens this celebrity is a great pro wrestler slash sports entertainer. Deal with it. So if these guys don't want a bigger piece of the pie with Rock being a part of WrestleMania, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm certain they weren't, they, they, they weren't complaining when they got their WrestleMania check last year when, when, when uh, the numbers came out that, that Rock helped get them a million pay-per-view buys. I mean, like I said, I, I agree I with the, the, the thing that hurts uh, to me everything, and, and um, yeah, they've had celebrities bump people before. But it, the year-long thing has really, really hurt this storyline. Um, yeah, and there's some people that I heard, uh, you know, I saw online defending The Rock, and they said things like, well, remember when Hulk Hogan came back with the NWO, and, you know, and he challenged The Rock, and he obviously took a spot from someone. People, like, Hogan was on TV every week leading into that WrestleMania. I mean, yes, yeah. Hogan got his Hogan schedule, but it wasn't like Hogan challenged Rock and then left. He was there every week. They facilitated a storyline going into that. So, you know, the comparison to, you know, that Hogan storyline or bringing some, you know, other veterans back in years past, um, it really doesn't hold a lot of water. I mean, all I was thinking when I saw Cena's promo is, like, what if we didn't know anything about The Rock and Cena for a year? And the year just went by with, with the way it was going. And then... All of a sudden, after Cena finally takes care of Kane 
and Kane's out of the picture, Cena shows up on Raw and says, you know, well, they start off Raw by saying The Rock is going to show up next week uh, to talk to the people, blah, blah, blah. And then Cena does his promo bashing The Rock. Then the following week, they challenge each other for a WrestleMania match. And then there's like this intense few-week buildup going into WrestleMania. I'm still looking forward to the buildup, but the year has just really hurt this whole storyline. It's just kind of been Cena kind of waiting in limbo for when The Rock decided to show up. Um, And and that's been tough. So I can kind of see, you know, maybe the boys in the back uh, kind of are looking for uh, one of the guys who is a former boy uh, to kind of have a little more respect for for the business. And maybe that's where uh, they're being rubbed the wrong way. Um, but I'm I'm excited to see what Rock has to say on Monday night. Uh, one thing, if, if there's anybody who is listening from WWE Creative, knows someone from WWE Creative, intense Cena works. Okay? Corny joke making, smiley, goofy Cena sucks. Intense. He might be kind of a one-trick pony, but when Cena is doing an intense promo... He can be somewhat entertaining. When you give him like a, a, a sense that he's actually pissed, he's entertaining. Um, when he's making corny jokes, uh, it doesn't work. As, as Pat Crowley put in his blog that he put on, on the KenReadyShow.com about uh, W Creative dropping the ball with John Cena, uh, he said, you know, your best faces are guys who you need to have a sense of loss. Uh, you need to feel bad for them. There needs to be a certain tragic element and then fighting past the tragedy. And that's how we get behind our heroes. Um, John Cena is wronged or uh, someone screws him over and he comes out on Monday night and makes a joke. That here's doesn't work. But Here, here's the other thing, Ken, about that promo that, that, that hasn't been touched upon. They were in Minneapolis on Monday night. There was not an overwhelming amount of booze when John Cena was cutting that promo. There were people in that audience that were behind John Cena and his statements about The Rock, which surprised me because just basically in every arena he's been in, it's been 70, 30, 80-20 against John Cena. So there are, there are more people out there than you think that feel this way about The Rock and about his involvement or lack thereof in the build-up towards WrestleMania. Now, I don't think that Vince McMahon, WWE creative, Rock and John Cena, had the idea of Rock being highly involved throughout this whole year and making this an entire angle to get to WrestleMania. I think that it was meant to sell tickets, number one, and to you know put it in people's minds that, you know, at WrestleMania, we're going to see the biggest match of all time, the biggest main event. You know, I, I don't think it was meant to, you know, have Rock make appearances every now and then um, to promote that because they are because they had done pretty well in ticket sales with the travel package and this, that, and the other that I spoke of last week. Um, but Rock is on the road to WrestleMania with WWE, as far as I know, from what I understand, from this, from tomorrow night until WrestleMania, he's going to be on Raw every week. And it's gonna. I think. I think this will help. 
really get people more invested in the angle. And the other thing, too, that I forgot to mention that will probably be announced shortly, I read this online last week, WWE is going to do a 24-7 HBO-like documentary. Some of you don't know, HBO does documentaries on boxers right for a big boxing fight. They call it the 24-7 series, yeah. where they show them behind the scenes and leading up to the fight. Well, they're going to do something similar with Rock and John Cena on March 26th, an hour before Raw will be the lead-in to the Go Home show for uh, Monday Night Raw right before WrestleMania. And I think that will help really get an emotional investment from the audience for either guy. Um, so I'm looking forward to the next five weeks heading to WrestleMania and where this is going to go. Monday night was a good start, in my opinion, with that John Cena promo. And I think, I think somehow this anonymous tweet or text, excuse me, might get incorporated into the storyline. And I don't think Cena had anything to do with that. Otherwise, he wouldn't have said what he said Monday night. Right, and and you know, and and I think part of it with with Rock and Cena is that Cena, you know, he speaks the truth. I mean, when he said things, you said you'd never leave, and then you left. Um, I, it's fine. I think I think you're right. I think wrestling fans, a lot of them, like want to boo Cena. It's like, wait a second, he's he's right. Like the Rock did leave us. And the Rock did come back. I mean, The Rock has kind of come off as a bit disingenuous. And, you know, for me as a fan, when The Rock left way back when, there was always that feeling like, you know, he kind of made some statements like, he'll be back, he'll never be far away from WWE, you know, you'll see The Rock real soon. And I remember with, you know, at that time, I had a large group of friends. We got together for every pay-per-view. And we used to speculate every month, oh, The Rock is so showing up tonight. Oh, The Rock is going to do this. Oh, he's definitely coming back. And then as time went on, it was like, wow, he's he's not coming back. Like, he's really just gone. He really just turned his back on us. And, you know, he, and it's like, you know, I know it's kind of symbolic, but he turned his back on wrestling fans for Hollywood. He went out to Hollywood. Now, I'm not saying I wouldn't do the same thing, but I... You know, I mean, the movie star lifestyle is definitely easier than being a WWE superstar. Um, but wrestling fans, it, you know, you're sitting in the audience, you're like, you know, yeah, Cena sucks, go rock, Cena sucks. Hey, but hey, Cena's kind of right. And I'm rooting for a guy who's not here. And he's never here. I'm, I'm rooting for a promo video. That's who I'm supposed to get behind? I'm getting behind a promo video? He sat, he stood in that ring and said he'd never leave. He said to us, finally, The Rock has come. Dramatic pause, dramatic pause, dramatic pause, home. And then he left again. So it should be, now there's no way Rock gets booed in Miami, obviously. But I do think that Cena is kind of garnering a little bit of support for him. Uh, the interesting thing, though, now the match itself, does the match itself deliver on uh, the lead-in? Because I agree with you. I'm a little bit excited. The Rock being on more regularly, um, Cena's promo. Like, I'm just excited to Cena pulling off a good promo. Uh, that, to me, says, you know, we're we're in a good place. We're, we're moving forward uh, with this road to WrestleMania. Um, and we know The Rock will probably pull off a very good promo uh, on Monday night. Um you know, do we get The Rock in the ring, you know, once or twice before WrestleMania? Perhaps. Um, I would like to actually see at some point uh, Cena go over The Rock uh, physically 
uh, because we've seen last year at WrestleMania and then at Survivor Series, Rock go over Cena, uh, just kind of add a little uh, intrigue. And, uh, you know, whenever there's a rivalry, I mean, you need to have both sides, like, you know, get their punches in, uh, so to speak. So I, I'm, I'm hoping that something like that happens. Um, obviously, when it comes to verbal skills, uh, The Rock far superior to John Cena. Uh, but again, Cena with a, a kick-ass promo Monday night. And fingers crossed that, that they, they do a good job. Um, the interesting thing, though, is the match itself going into WrestleMania. We'll have weeks to talk about this in upcoming shows. But with a match coming up like a Jericho and a CM Punk, where you figure that's going to be a very good match, um, and a Triple H Undertaker in a Hell Cell match, where you're hoping those two guys can deliver, um, can this match stand up? Because odds are this is going to be the last match of the night. Can these two guys put on a match that will not be a, a letdown coming after uh, matches like the two I just spoke of? Yeah, well, let's, let's, hope, let's hope it does uh, uh, does stand the test of time in uh, WWE and WrestleMania history. Let me just say one more thing about this Rock Cena. Um what really needs to happen tomorrow night, and Rock Rock can't go Rock can't rest on his laurels Monday night with the you know with all the catchphrases and the you know the the the, the lady parts trending worldwide and stuff like that. It's fun and people like it and that's great. But if they're really gonna go this route with the reality based storyline of you know the, the the two hatred for each other and, and that's why they're they're having this match. Rock really needs to speak from the heart, and he needs to, you know, if, if they if they want to, if they don't want the Rock to get booed, granted he's not going to get booed in Miami, but if they don't want to portray the Rock in a bad light for the next five weeks on television, the Rock really needs to speak from the heart, and he needs to, you know, cut all the corny jokes out and explain his reasons why he has said he'll never leave but then leave and then come back. You know what I mean? Like, it's tough, but he's going to, I have a feeling he's just going to come out, he's going to insult the crap out of Tina, and whatever he says is going to totally disregard, he's going to totally disregard John Cena and what he had to say. If Rock were a real person, like if this were real life, and, you know, two guys had said something, both disparagingly to each other, the one like John Cena, about what he said about The Rock, The Rock would come back with a rebuttal, not a whole bunch of insults, but he would explain his actions because he's so upset that somebody would say something like that about him and question his character. But I have a feeling Monday night it's going to be, you know, you know, John Cena's lady parts trending worldwide and, you know, I'm going to put my boot to your ass and, you know, all that other good stuff, which is fun, but... I think they need to go a different direction with this. Yeah, it was funny because I think this week John Cena tweeted something where he, he there was something to the effect of uh, blah, 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 90s catchphrase, blah, 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 Cena's lady, uh, lady parts, blah, 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 if you smell what I'm cooking, blah, blah, blah. And he's right. <laughs> as good as he is on the mic, you know, that's that's essentially uh, recently what, what you're getting out of The Rock. And, again, I, I can't stress enough, like back in the day, I mean, I love Rock. Um, but you know, I, I don't know, like I'm, I'm kind of like more and more finding myself as, as much as I've been an apologist for quite some time, I find myself really falling into Cena camp and really just thinking to myself, Hey, you know, 
I, I want to see Cena win this. I want to see for for his uh, career and for his validation. I kind of want to see him win this. I don't know how they can pull this off in Miami to have Cena uh, beat The Rock. Uh, I'd love to see it. I, I think it would be awesome for Cena to be raising his hand in victory uh, with, uh, I would say, probably what, I'm guessing 90, 99% of the place booing him. Uh, you know, with me, lone person in Miami, cheering that that uh, Cena won. But uh, hell yeah, you know, I I'd love to see it. So we'll see what happens. But uh, you're right. Tomorrow night is definitely the night that Buck uh, needs to step up and give us uh, something other than the the usual rock promo because uh, I'm getting a little tired of it. And maybe he'll show up tomorrow night and say he he finally has come home. Again, whatever. Anyway, we're in hour number two. And as as most known, I said earlier in the show, I have just turned 40. And when I turned 40, I thought to myself, what are the 40 greatest moments in wrestling history over the past 40 years? And what I did find interesting as I was compiling this list, and, and the list is from me and from my heart, and feel free to disagree. Just be kind with your disagreements. I'm not saying I'm perfect, uh, but this is my list. Um, no death threats, there was, No death threats. <laughs> and there are things, no honestly, threats. it got really difficult. started thinking, wow, like I've, my lifetime uh, has been quite the era in professional wrestling. And for other, to, to pick another 40-year uh block a time in professional wrestling and find like this many great moments uh, might be tough. I, I just want to start looking at the, the firsts uh, that I lived through, um, the things I've seen, the, the way the business has grown over the past 40 years. It was tough. Certain moments kind of uh, made the cutting room floor. Certain moments are obviously put on the list because of, uh, you know, they, they come from the heart and what I think, but I'd love to hear uh, your opinion. So you can call in as we're reading the list at three four seven eight three nine eight one five. Number is three four seven eight three eight nine eight one five. I am going to post on my website, thekenreadyshow.com, dot uh, com, on the blog section. So feel free to comment there um, or email me, Ken at thekenreadyshow dot com, with feedback. And if there are moments I missed or moments that you think uh, should be ordered differently. Uh, by all means, uh, I'd love to hear your feedback. But this is, drumroll, my top 40 list of the past 40 years. Coming in at number 40, the Iron Sheik defeats Bob Backlund. Uh, Bob Backlund's manager threw the towel in, uh, which just gave way, obviously, to eventually the birth of Hulkamania. Hmm, I wonder if that will be on the list. Who we'll have to wait and find out. Um but a, a pivotal moment, uh, nonetheless, in, in the world of professional wrestling. Uh, number 39, The Undertaker defeats the Superfly, Jimmy Snuka. Uh, and the only reason uh, Snuka was a, a shell of his former self, shall we say, uh, at that moment. Uh, but it's number one. It started the streak. Uh, that was the first one, uh, the first victory. In the, the WrestleMania streak, uh, as Undertaker was an up-and-comer. Up uh, so that makes it in at number 39. Number 38 comes from this year. Or last year, rather. 
2011, CM Punk versus John Cena, Money in the Bank. The quote-unquote summer of punk in the WWE. Uh, I, honestly, it was one of the more exciting things to me. I thought it was, you know, it's something that probably could have made it farther up the list if they let the storyline develop for a little longer. Um, but for that night, uh, punk winning, walking out the door with the title, blowing kiss to Vince McMahon, um, it was a great moment. Uh, it was one of the better moments, uh, maybe even the best moment over the past year uh, in wrestling. Uh, very cool and uh, gave way to, uh, you know, a kind of a viral war, uh, CM Punk showing up at Comic-Con. Um, I thought it was a very uh, very entertaining month or two. Uh, so that comes in at number 38. What did you think about uh, the Money in the Bank match? Uh, I thought it was unbelievable. I remember you know, coming to your house to watch the pay-per-view. Um, but let me just backtrack from it. In my, la- in my latest blog about the underrated WrestleMania moments, one of them I, I put was the uh, the crowd in Chicago at WrestleMania 22 during the John Cena Triple H WWE Championship match. And that was really the birthplace of the Let's Go Cena, Cena Sucks chance that we hear in just about every arena across the country and all over the world. And um, going into this match, going into that match, you know, pumping hometown boy, and the the audience knowing of his possible departure from the company that the that the company decided to turn into a storyline. You didn't, you couldn't tell what was fiction and reality, which was pretty cool. And it was for the first time where you could honestly say to yourself, you know, you don't know what's going to happen. And knowing the audience and how hostile they were. To towards John Cena that year at WrestleMania, you knew it was going to be ten times more hostile, especially with Punk being their hometown hero and the storyline that, or the lack of storyline, I should say, the the reality of the situation that he was in. And I just remember going into that, watching at your house, you know, we're all sitting around watching it, and granted, we were at your house, but I really felt like I was in Chicago, like, in that arena watching it. There was just some electricity about it that that audience made that match. And that entire pay-per-view just flat-out awesome. That, in my opinion, that was pay-per-view of the year. It beat out WrestleMania. Usually WrestleMania gets the pay-per-view of the year nods. But last year, Money in the Bank was just top-to-bottom awesome. And that, that, that angle, that match, the match went 38, 39 minutes, I believe. And it was a good wrestling match. So for people to say that, yeah, John Cena is not the greatest technical wrestler in the world, but he hung with a guy like CM Punk for 38, 39 minutes. That that shows something about John Cena. And John I, Cena I again. John Cena might be a guy that needs a you know an opponent that's going to help him look good, but the guy has skills, and, and at times it's just it's uh, it, it's tough. It, it's a tough kind of you know uh, it's tough for John Cena. It's but. You know, he he needs an opponent that's going to kind of help him along. But the guy has skills. He definitely has skills as far as, you know, his in-ring work. He just needs to be pointed in the right direction. Um, you know, it, it's funny with, with Cena that when, when there's a good match, when Cena had a good match, uh, everyone wants to give all the credit in the world to his opponent. And when there's a bad match, all the blame goes for Cena. Um, yeah. It needs to be... A a little more evenly distributed, and I agree with you. And even on the microphone leading into that match, uh, for a guy like CM Punk, who's tremendous on the mic, and a guy like Cena, who really gets criticized a lot, 
same thing. I thought Cena held his own uh, facilitating storyline. So it was one of those things that was a really big storyline leading in, and the match actually delivered. And I agree with you that, you know, we we usually the pay-per-view, and, and we invite people over, and sometimes it's a big group, sometimes it's not. Uh, but that night, we had uh, quite a, a a group, and it was being at a live event. Um, it really was. I mean, the whole living room was yelling. Uh, we were jumping off the couch. It just had that, that feel that I can't remember the last pay-per-view that I sat at home watching and, and had that happen. So uh, coming in at number 38, Cena Punk, Money in the Bank. 37, the Backlot Brawl. Roddy Piper and Goldust. Uh, <laughs> and I'm reading Goldust's book right now, and it's awesome like hearing them brainstorm about this match and uh, coming up with the idea of having Goldust have ladies' underwear on so when Piper ripped off his uh, tire, um, had uh, lingerie on underneath. So that comes in at number 37. 36, uh, kind of an underrated moment, but uh, a few years back when um, – Orton gave a smooch to an unconscious Stephanie McMahon while a helpless Triple H uh, looked on. I thought that was a tremendous heel moment. Uh, again, another moment uh, in this era of wrestling that is emblazoned in my head. Uh, that comes in at number 36. Uh, number 35, Andy Kaufman with Jerry Lawler on the David Letterman show. Uh, tremendous moment uh, looking back when uh, wrestling uh, did not admit that it was scripted. Uh, Andy Kaufman decides he wants to get in the world of professional wrestling, declares himself the intergender intergender champion, will only wrestle females, and uh, beats up on females. Uh, which Jerry Lawler comes in and defends. Uh, female wrestlers, and uh, pile drives Andy Kaufman, and the two of them show up Letterman. Uh, Letterman does not know that Lawler and Kaufman are in cahoots with each other, and uh, they proceed to get into a fight where uh, Lawler slaps Kaufman on the show. Kaufman has a tirade with a litany of expletives, and uh, Letterman just looks like he doesn't know what the hell to do with himself. Uh, so that comes in at number 35. Think a little bit before your time, Dave. Yeah, a little bit before my time. I remember watching a documentary on that on Andy Kaufman, and they were uh, it was on Comedy Central. They were detailing the the incident with Jerry Lawler. Two things about that: number one, that the, the celebrity involvement with Andy Kaufman working a wrestling angle with a guy like Jerry Lawler was the precursor to what we see nowadays and what was the beginning of stages of WrestleMania with the celebrities' involvement in the storylines. Of that, of that, of those uh, WrestleMania shows, and secondly, how great of performers those two individuals are, you know, to work not only the wrestling audience because that's their main job is to work the wrestling audience, but to work the mainstream media, like David Letterman and the news and all that good stuff. Um, so they had they had people on their on uh, you know spinning on their ears. About it, it was uh, it, it was unbelievable. Yeah, it was it was tremendous, and no, nobody knew. They kept it a close guarded secret. Nobody knew that you know they were in cahoots together. So that comes in at number thirty five, thirty four. Keeping with the theme of moments on talk shows, Hogan puts down Richard Belzer. Uh, this is before WrestleMania one, and uh, 
Uh, Richard Belzer decided that he would come out and talk about wrestling being fake. And, uh, you know, he kind of makes some comments, and Hogan's like, sure, I'll put you in a hold, puts him in a headlock. And uh, Richard Belzer goes out, cracks his skull on a stage. Um, it was a cool little moment. Uh, don't tell a six, seven, hundred pound monster that what he does for a living is fake. So uh, Hulk Hogan putting out Richard Belzer comes in at 34. Uh, number 33, the first ever Royal Rumble. Which again, you know, I could have, I, I just put that one. It was tough, like, because I lived through the first Survivor Series, the first WrestleMania, the first. So, but the Rumble being the, to me, the most consistent uh, pay per view per year. I didn't include actually the first Survivor Series in here. Um, but the first Rumble gets a mention here at number 33. Number 32. And this is tough for me to take when this happens. The Ultimate Warrior defeats Hulk Hogan. <laughs> um, it's you know it's interesting because I don't I don't like the warrior um, and you know he was somebody that look he was tremendously over him all the credit in the world um, his character was definitely uh, more over than anything he could do in the ring he was strong as hell um, and he would get a huge pop uh, you know I'll give him credit for that um, and it just goes to show in the midst of Hulkamania. Uh, you know, he got a title run, and uh, that says a lot of how popular he was. You know, he was going to be looked at, and Hogan talks about that in his book. He was looked at as the guy that was going to take over, and he's going to take the ball and run. He was going to lead the company out of the Hulkamania uh, era. So it can't be understated, uh, that moment when the Warrior actually defeated Hulk Hogan uh, in the midst of Hulkamania. Number 31. Rick Flair survives a plane crash a mere days before little Ken Reedy was going to turn three years old. Rick Flair survives a plane crash, uh, which is interesting because who knows if we would have gotten the Nature Boy if not for this plane crash. He survives, and Lord knows I'm not wishing anyone goes through a plane crash to facilitate the wrestling character. However, before the plane crash, Flair was kind of a 300-pound monster, did a lot of strength moves. Um, he changed his whole, his whole style. He adapted the nature boy, so to speak, style uh, coming out of the plane crash. So uh, one of, again, number one, one A, everyone knows, I think Hulk Hogan's the greatest of all time. But, uh, you know, if you're going to tell me Ric Flair's the greatest, I'm not going to argue with you. And the whole nature boy character... Uh, the, surviving that plane crash had a lot to do with that character being developed. So, Ric Flair's plane crash comes in at 31. And I, I know he's probably not, but if Ric Flair is listening, I, apologies. Like it only, I know it's a plane crash and it's in 31. These guys, you know, what do I have to do to reach the top spot? Um, but he's, I got all the respect in the world for Ric Flair. <laughs> Number 30. We're in the top 30 now. Mike Tyson. Hall of Famer this year, going into the Hall of Fame in the, quote, celebrity wing. Mike Tyson confronts Stone Cold Steve Austin. Wow. Do you remember that day, Dave? I do. I was um, I, I, I was a uh, pimply-faced teenage kid, <laughs> and uh, watching that, um, 
you knew something big was going to happen because they were, you know, Steve Austin was probably the most popular um, figure in wrestling at that time. And uh, Mike Tyson was the most controversial and popular figure, figure in the world of boxing. And um, they both kind of had similar attitudes about, you know, life and the system in general. And you knew there wasn't going to be anything pretty about their confrontation. They weren't going to be, you know, uh, uh, high-fiving each other and, uh, you know, playing nice. And it made for great television. It was awesome. And it, and it was so awesome that... People were people were, were looking forward to seeing if Austin and Tyson were going to go at it at that year's WrestleMania instead of the Austin Shawn Michaels Championship match. People and a lot of and a lot of mainstream media attention to another one of those moments that got mainstream. ESPN. I mean, it was all over the place. Newspaper. I remember the next morning, I, my father handed me the newspaper clipping, and there was a picture of uh, of. Uh, you know, Tyson and Austin face to face, and there's a, in the middle of Vince's one holding the microphone, and you just see those the, the the eyeballs pop out of Vince's head. And after whatever Austin said in that shot in the camera, it was unbelievable. It was a, that at that moment really started to push the attitude era along smoothly to get them to that year's WrestleMania, and to really get a lot of eyeballs to outsiders to watch the uh, the, the WWF at that time. Agreed. Number 29. How much for the plastic surgery, brother? How much? Andre the Giant defeats Hulk Hogan on Saturday night's main event, February 5th, 1988. Um, yeah, it's enough for me to take to uh, uh, out. It was Dave Hepner. Is this Dave Hepner? Is this Dave Hepner? It turned out to be Dave Hepner's evil twin brother, Earl Hepner. Uh, Hogan thinking there was plastic surgery involved. Uh, Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase's scheme to get the WWF championship, and uh, which led to WrestleMania four with the uh, title being declared vacant. Uh, that comes in at 29. Andre defeats Hulk Hogan. Number 28. Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, the Iron Man match. Enough said right there. Great match. Number 27. Edge retires as world champion. Um, I just thought it was a cool moment. Very few guys get to retire with the title. Uh, Edge retires as world champ. Number 26, Andre the Giant debuts in the WWF. March 26, 1973, the big man debuts. Um, It's like Looking back now, maybe, which is amazing to say, maybe one of the most underrated uh, stars and people look back, uh, you know. Again, when people mention the greatest of all time and the Hogans and the Flares come up, got debates on John Michaels. Does he deserve uh, Taker? Uh, you know, you don't hear people debating Andre as much. But uh, Andre, again, talk about a guy who got some mainstream attention. Um, you know, when Andre debuted in the WWF, um, tremendous talent. Um, you know, enough said. I mean, Andre, first ever Hall of Famer, makes his debut um, March 26, 1973. Comes in at 26. Number 25. And I'm just incorporating the whole thing. WrestleMania 25. Seemed to just work. Number 25 is WrestleMania 25. That's, that's what I'm going to say about that. Good event. Uh, great match with uh, Taker and Shawn Michaels. Great match. Um... 
It was just it was a really good period, and it was uh, I was there in Houston, drove to Houston. It was my first WrestleMania since going to WrestleMania ten. Um, good times, good times. That was at number twenty five. Number twenty four. Yeah, I think this is it for the Ultimate Warrior countdown. The Ultimate Warrior retires Randy Savage, and I put this in here not, um, really for like the sake of moment when I when I started thinking about moments, and I know there's. Look, my criteria is all over the place, and like I said, it's my list, so I can do what I want to do. Um, but it's, you know, it's certain moments, like I have an entire paper, but in certain moments I have just, you know, the moments. So, whatever, so sue me. It's my list. Um, I, I The moment where, where Savage and Elizabeth were reunited uh, after that match, it was just a really cool moment. Uh the announcers did a really good job at, at making the moment come off as very dramatic, and uh, it was just really cool. It's one of those things that I, I, you know, when I look back on all the wrestling I've watched, like that just jumps into my head. Uh, you know, Macho Man putting Elizabeth on his shoulder. It was just cool, and you know, we lost. I was so mad that. about that. What? I was so mad about that. First of all, I was mad that Warrior again beat another one of my heroes because back in that day, Hogan and Macho Man were my two top guys. The mega powers. Yeah, the mega powers, exactly. I thought they were the greatest force on Earth, better than, you know, Batman and Robin. And uh, I was mad about that, number one. Number two, I was also kind of disappointed that Liz went back to Randy Savage because at 91, how old was I? Well, at that age, I forget how old I was, but at that age, I thought I really had a shot with Miss Elizabeth. She was the first... She was the first woman in my life that, like, I really thought, like, it would see, like, I, I had puberty early when I saw Miss Elizabeth. Bottom line, I'm just going to leave it at that. Go with the rest of the countdown. Which I love because, like, number 23, Miss Elizabeth debuts. That comes in at number 23. And, again, as far as moments, they did a really cool workup in the storyline with, uh, you know, all the managers in the WWF uh, courting Macho Man and all the heel managers are all standing in the ring and then Miss Elizabeth walks out. Um, you know, I remember Sarah like, Mah-ha-ha. and I don't care what Sonny says, first diva, the original diva is Miss Elizabeth. That's what I said. That's what I said that night in Atlanta, too. I said, that, I said for her to sit there and say that, that's a total clock. Miss Elizabeth was the first and original diva of the WWE. She should have paid homage to her. She should have thanked and said, you know, I... Exactly. Don't get me wrong, Sonny's a hot piece of ass, but, you know, and I wouldn't turn it down if she, you know, offered offered me the goods, but, you know what? Miss oh, Elizabeth is, is the one that, that set it all up for the rest of them bruds. Exactly. All right, coming in at number 22, let's take a listen. So that Dusty Rhodes has been injured. Well, we want to welcome back tonight Dusty Rhodes for his first interview since his injury. Here is the American Dream. Dusty Rhodes and Dusty, your fans welcome you back, man. First of all, I would like to thank the many, many fans throughout this country that wrote cards and letters Dusty Rhodes, the American Dream, while I was down. Secondly, I want to thank Jim Crockett Promotions for waiting and taking the time because I know how important it was. Starcade 85, it is to the wrestling fans, it is the Jim Crockett Promotions. And Dusty Rhodes, the American Dream, with that weight, got what I wanted. Ric Flair, the world's heavyweight champion. I don't have to say a lot more about the way I feel about Ric Flair. 
no respect, no honor. There is no honor among thieves in the first place. He put hard times on Dusty Rhodes and his family. You don't know what hard times are, Daddy. Hard times are when the textile workers around this country are out of work and got four or five kids and can't pay their wages, can't buy their food. Hard times are when the auto workers are out of work and they tell them go home. And hard times are when a man has worked at a job 30 years, 30 years. They give him a watch, kick him in the butt and say, hey, a computer took your place, Daddy. That's hard times. That's hard times. And Rick Flair, you put hard times on this country by taking Dusty Rhodes out. That's hard times. And we all had hard times together. I admit I don't look like the athlete of the day supposed to look. My belly's just a little big. My hand is just a little big. But brother, I am bad and they know I'm bad. And there were two bad people. One was John Wayne and he's dead, brother. And the other one's right here. Major Boy Ric Flair. The world's heavyweight title belongs to these people. I'm going to reach out right now. I want you at home to know my hand is touching your hand for this gathering of the biggest body of people in this country, in this universe, all over the world. Now, reach it out because the love that was given me in this time, I will repay you now because I will be the next world's Heavyweight champion on this hard time blues, Dusty Rhodes, Tour 85, and Rick Flair, Nature Boy. Let me leave you with this. One way to hurt Rick Flair is to take what he cherishes more than anything in the world. That's the world's heavyweight title. I'm going to take it. I've been there twice. This time when I take it, Daddy, I'm going to take it for you. Let's gather for it. Don't let me down now, because I came back for you, for that man up there that died 10, 12 years ago and never got the opportunity to see a real world champion. And I'm proud of you. Thank God I have you. And I love you. Love you! The American Dream, Dusty Rhodes fans. Dusty Rhodes, hard time promo coming in at number 22, one of the best promos ever. Doesn't always make sense, but good promo. I always say it's funny when he says the man upstairs who died. I, I'm, I always think he's talking about Jesus, and then he says 10, 12 years ago. So who knows who he's talking about? But great nonetheless coming in at number 22. Number 21, Hulk Hogan defeats Triple H for his last run as the champion, and it's the last... WWF champion, which is fitting. Hogan should have been the last WWF champion. That comes to number 21. Number 20, the 2002, just the year. I'm just taking the year. That comes in at number 20. 2002, uh, because of the fact that the rookie class included guys like Cena and Orton, and it was Mysterio's rookie year in the WWE, as well as TNA and ROH began that year. So 2002. Again, it's my list. I took a whole year, put it in at number 20. 19. Shane McMahon shows up on Monday Nitro. Big deal. Big deal signifying basically the end 
I mean, they're all but done anyway, but the end of the Monday Night Wars. Number 18, Jimass, Superfly Snooker, goes off the top of the steel cage, landing on a helpless Don Morocco. Sticking with that theme, number 17, Mick Foley goes off the top of the cage, influenced by Jimmy Snooker. Um, as far as moments go, and maybe it's because uh, Foley is so much more unathletic looking. When Snooker went off the cage, like he just looked in control the whole time. Uh, Foley, you didn't know what the hell was going on, and is he going to kill himself or someone else in this match? Um, so that's why I put Foley a notch above Snooker. Um, Snooker was like one of my favorites growing up as a kid. Uh, but Snooker comes in at 18, Foley 17, 16, future Hall of Famer being inducted this year. Congratulations, Ron Simmons, becoming the first black heavyweight champion. Uh, that comes in at number 16. Number 15, Rick Rude. Tears on Monday Nitro and Monday Night Raw on the same night. Which, if you weren't doing beforehand, that definitely started the whole, I got to flip back and forth uh, between shows uh, to make sure I don't miss anything. Uh, it was a great ploy by WCW getting Rick Rude on both shows, uh, getting them on his show. Uh, you know, WWE, WWF didn't have a didn't have Rude under contract. They taped Raw, and uh, Eric Bischoff pulled off quite a uh, uh, shenanigans there, getting Rick Rude to appear on his show while the tape. He was also on Monday Night Raw, and that's in at number. 15. 14. The click forms. Who knew when the click formed how much influence it would have over the business as a whole over the next decade or longer? Uh, Kevin Nash, Scott Hall, Sean Waltman, Sean Michaels, Triple H, best buds in the click. And let's not forget May 19, 1996, the infamous curtain call. And then I, I was there at the curtain call, and it's interesting because I don't think any of us at that moment really realized how big a deal it was, uh, what we were seeing. Um, I guess I was old enough at that point. I, I knew wrestling was, was scripted, but it wasn't so out there. Uh, but the clip forms, a uh, thing that, that uh, a group that has really influenced the business since then. Number 13, Roddy Popper hits Jimmy Superfly Snooker. With a coconut on Piper's Pit. Uh, number 12. April 25th, 1992. Coming upon the 20-year anniversary. ECW is founded. ECW, the little little engine that could, who, who seemed to you know, keep themselves uh, popular and in, in the public eye uh, while the Monday Night Wars were going on. Um, not really competing with the WWE. Or WCW, but uh, an alternative, uh, something else, something different, something uh, that either one of those companies were not doing. Um, they were founded April 20th, 1992. Number 11, Montreal, the ovation for Hulk Hogan. That comes in at, at number 11, and sticking with that theme, hitting the top 10. Again, we're going back to Montreal. The Montreal screw job brings us into our top ten. Um will will this moment ever go away? I I, I don't think I don't think it will. It was such a big moment in wrestling that uh that it I mean, 
you know, you go back, let's go back to the curtain call just for a minute. That was the beginning stage. You know, the Internet wasn't really prevalent at the time, and uh, I didn't um, – I didn't even know the curtain call happened until, like, to be honest with you, until a few years later when I seen pictures online and, and a story I read on a, on a wrestling uh, message board news site. Um, so, uh, you know, that was that was when they, you know, really blurred the lines between uh, fiction and reality in wrestling. It was the beginning stage. And, of course, um, you know, uh, just over a year later with, uh, you know, with, with the, the Montreal Screwjob, um, it was pretty heavy. And it, 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 what if the Montreal Screwjob never happened? What if Bret Hart stayed with the WWF and Vince McMahon didn't screw Bret? Where would we be right now? Would we see the? Would we have seen the the meteoric meteoric rise of the Mr. McMahon character being the number one heel in the company at that time? And for for years, um, it, it was a huge. It, it led to a lot of things. It definitely led to a lot of things, and it really, in my opinion, it really, you know, that was the official kickoff of the Attitude Era. We had seen bits and pieces of it with, you know, the birth of Austin 316 and, and uh, you know, the, the, the controversial characters like Goldust, but that was the moment where, like, Vince was like, all right, I'm not going to insult my audience and their intelligence. You know, this is what it is, and this is what i got to do to... to to stay alive because Bischoff and Turner and WCW were breathing down his neck at that time. And not only did he have to do it for business, but he also, it also got people's attention. It was like, Oh my God, like, you know, they went totally off the script. You know, most wrestling fans, you know, you know, teenage fans and, and older fans knew at that time, you know, that it was scripted, but everyone was like, Oh my God, like it was an element of surprise that we've talked about. You know, what, what's going to happen on the, on the pay-per-view? You know what I mean? We're, we're going to have to order the next one. Yeah, it so definitely it, changed the, the landscape of uh, professional wrestling, and uh, which is why it, it cracks the, the, the number 10. Um, nine, we're, we're into it. Nine, Ric Flair wins the Royal Rumble to become WWF champ. Um, and keeping with the Flair theme, number eight, the four horsemen are formed. Number seven, Austin 316 is born. That's another huge deal, you know, and who knew that promo uh, would would start such a craze, but Austin 316 uh, is born coming in at number seven. Number six. Sure, go ahead. The Austin 316 promo, that's another one of those things where and, and, it, and it's got relation to the curtain call. The curtain call in Madison Square Garden involves Shawn Michaels, Kevin Nash, Scott Hall, and Triple H. And that was Kevin Nash's last evening as a contracted wrestler for the WWF. Same thing with Scott Hall. So that was why the curtain call took place, because they were all buddies. They wanted to say goodbye to each other. They got Hunter involved. Hunter that year, 96, was slated to win the King of the Ring. He was going to go on that big push. Well, this was from the story that I've heard through, you know, reading Shawn Michaels' book and, and hearing the interviews. Hunter was supposed to be the guy to win the King of the Ring that year, and Vince allowed this curtain call to happen. But a lot of the old timers that worked for him, like Jerry Briscoe and Pat Patterson, even a lot of the wrestlers were like, they totally, they felt that the clique disrespected the wrestling business and totally shit on the, the whole concept of it. So Vince felt he had to do something about it because he had a lot of people breathing down his neck. Well, at that time. WCW was just starting to 
starting to really get red hot, you know, with with with, with, uh, with uh, the uh, Hall Hall Nash Championship and the whole Outsider and eventually the formation of the NWO, and he had to punish somebody. What was he going to do? Shawn Michaels was his biggest star at the time. Bret Hart was gone. He had taken a hiatus. He couldn't punish the champion. He couldn't punish two guys who weren't under contract for him. So Hunter got left home the bag. And if that didn't happen, Hunter was going to win King of the Ring. We might not have seen Austin 316 born that evening. And we might not have seen the rise of Steve Austin, if at all. Which on one hand would have been horrible, but at least we wouldn't have that goddamn what chant. <laughs> what? So who knows where we want to go with that? But yeah, I mean it's amazing how things all fit in. And if this didn't happen, I mean, and that's the wrestling business for him. I mean, you never know. And one guy, uh, you know, is blackballed or gets injured or whatever happens, jump uh, ship, and and someone else got to take the ball. And that's what Austin did. So Austin three sixteen is born, number six, and you just mentioned it actually. Hulk Hogan makes his turn. Forms the NWO. Uh, that this was amazing to me. This, this whole thing what was that huge moment, huge. And it sets it apart a bit. I mean, it was tough with this and Austin three sixteen. Um, and I went back and forth, but you know what? It was Hulk Hogan, and, and to me, that moment really defined how the Monday Night Wars were going to go. Uh, WCW getting edgy with the NWO. Um, kind of pushed the WF at that point in that direction, um, and they got they kept getting more and more edgy. Um, but it re it revitalized Hulk Hogan, um, and and at the time, uh, you know Hogan was back on like the covers of magazines, on the covers of TV Guide. Uh, it totally revitalized him. And to me, when I talk about the best of all time, the NWO is really what made Hogan the greatest of all time. Um, you could make the case that he was the most influential wrestler on the planet in the 90s as well as the 80s. I'm not saying he definitely is, but I'm saying you could argue that point. Uh, the NWO really changed everything, um, and it was just a shock. I, and I wasn't really watching wrestling much at that point. I had kind of gotten away from it. I wonder if I, on Monday night, on Monday morning, that I was working with, uh, said Hulk Hogan turned the last night. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. Now he turned last night, and I, that's when I, I watched. I turned on Nitro, and I watched it, and they replayed the uh, uh, the promo, and I was just like, "This is amazing!" And that kind of got back into wrestling. So, uh, big moment. So it gets a slight, it's slightly ahead of Austin three sixteen. Um, comes in at number six. We are at the top five now. Top five moments past forty years, according to me. Number five, the first Starcade. Uh, first event of its kind, uh, you got your dog collar match um, with Piper and Valentine. Uh, just a, a great uh, event, uh, which was kind of the, the ancestor to, uh, or the precursor to WrestleMania. So the first Starcade comes in at number five for its uh, influence on the business. Number four, can't be understated, but Vince McMahon takes over the WWF from his father. Um be hard pressed if someone said no, it's going to be the number one moment. Uh, be hard pressed to argue with you. It came in four on my list, but I talk about things that change the landscape of professional wrestling. Uh, to say if there's any one thing that really changed it more uh, than Vince McMahon taking the reins from his father, and it's interesting because the next, the top four are all 
Vince has got his hands in in all of them. So it's it's uh you know, Starcade was the last Vinceless uh, moment to be on the uh, the countdown. Uh, number three is WrestleMania, the first one, the, the beginnings of the WrestleMania. Who knew uh, what it would grow into, but just the idea of WrestleMania. I remember hearing that they were going to do a WrestleMania on closed TV uh, when the first WrestleMania happened. We were talking about it with friends in school. Um, yeah, I mean, enough said. WrestleMania 1, the Rock and Wrestling uh, Connection was born. Cindy Lauper in there. Uh, you know, I, Mr. T getting involved. Number three on my list, the first WrestleMania. Number two, the birth of Hulkamania. Hulk Hogan defeats the Iron Sheik uh, at Madison Square Garden to begin uh, Hulkamania. Which, uh, again, piggyback Hulkamania being born and Vince Man taking over the WWF. Um, you know, it was almost like Vince was the general and uh, Hulkamania was his army. And he just used that to basically take over the country and and uh, make his company uh, not a regional territory anymore. To be uh, nationwide and then eventually global. Um, so... You know, and, and again, admittedly, if there's one person I'm going to mark out for, it's Hulk Hogan. So, Hogan defeating the Sheik and the birth of Hulkamania comes in at number two. And now, we have reached the point, reached that moment, according to Ken Reedy and the Ken Reedy Show. And if you disagree with me, email me, Ken at the Um I'm going to be posting the list on the com. But the number one. Moment, using the term moment loosely, is WrestleMania 3. Dun, dun, dun. Spireworks. And as it turns out, this is the 25th anniversary of WrestleMania 3. Um, and I, I put WrestleMania 3 number one for a few reasons. Uh, first of all, WrestleMania 3, to me, validated WrestleMania being able to go yearly, every year, because WrestleMania 2 was kind of dipped a bit. So uh, the idea that this could be successful, WrestleMania 3, to me, uh, decided that this is going to be an annual event. Uh, Andre's turn on Hulk Hogan, the storyline leading into it, uh, the irresistible force versus the immovable object, a great storyline. Um, amazing lead-in going into the event, a great match, and cannot um, underestimate what uh, some may say is the greatest match of all time, uh, Ricky Steamboat versus the Macho Man Randy Savage. And when we're talking best of all time, we're talking best of all time. So everything involved, and again, I am using the term moment loosely, but everything involved in WrestleMania three. Uh, that's why that goes in as my number one moment over the past 40 years. And there you have it. My list of the top 40 moments of all time. we got about a minute left in the show. Um, we may revisit the list uh, starting next week's show. We're going to go. We'll go Sunday again. Um, but that's my list. Uh like to hear your feedback. Give me an email. I hope to hear from some callers next week. Uh you know what, Dave? Got about thirty I, seconds. 
30 seconds. Uh, well, you know, the list, there's a lot of great moments on there that, that, that have their place in history. I think it's a very good list. I would I would have to tend to agree with you um, on, on most of those things. I can Maybe next week we'll talk about things that didn't make the list. I got some ideas of some stuff that uh, that, that, that could have made that list. But uh, I'm just happy to be on, and uh, it was a great discussion tonight, Ken. Thank you very much. Yeah, well, we'll start next week. We can talk about it. Hope everyone had a good time listening for, for Dave. Ken signing off. Thank you all from the Ken Reedy Show. Good night.